You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Thanks, Brad. And thank you for that kindness. Wow. You all have marked me in such indelible ways. And uh, I probably should have prepared a, a video for you just to say thanks for the opportunity to be in your life and to run this leg of the journey with you. I very much identify with Shannon. I don't like goodbyes. I'm Irish. We usually just leave. Right? Uh, and it'd be very tempting to get all sentimental and maudlin. Uh, and uh, uh, actually, my last week as pastor was a message a couple of weeks ago. This is my first message as guest speaker. And uh, because I, uh, and whoever said it, you know, uh, our whatever official relationship ended. In our very first meeting, I said one of the greatest things about this is, A, I didn't have to get on an airplane every week to do it, and B, is that at the end of it, I, I know mission accomplished if we can walk out of this best friends. And uh, I want to be your church's uh, best friend. And uh, uh, whatever that means. Uh, but I'm no longer your pastor. I will steer all of that stuff back to Kyle. Lucky you. Because <laughs> this group, no. Uh, but I, I'm just trying to say something official that, you know, one thing ends, another begins. And... Uh, uh, Yet, for this morning, I wanted to stay to the text. I wanted to get to the end of the Psalms of Ascent. I said we'd never finish it, and I was right, Jim. Uh, and there are three that we're not going to touch, because I, I jumped to the end. Uh, but 131, 32, and 33, one-word summaries. They're, they're, it's a psalm about humility and keeping that right posture in the journey, no matter how close you're getting, of trust when it doesn't look like when God's plan is going to work out. That And... And then a great psalm about teamwork. And now we get to uh, the end uh, of our time together in this fashion and uh, for this message to the last of the psalms of ascent. And as we do, I'm immediately conscious that for the psalmist and for Jody and me, that the end of the journey is a very good place to be. And in much of life, right, we start out on a path, on a career, along some trajectory of life, and as we come to the end, as we often can have a sense of, of, of letdown, that it wasn't as good as we hoped it might be, like anxiously anticipated Christmas toys, that really weren't as nearly as much fun having them as they were wanting them. And even if we land the promotion, or if your team won the World Series this week, the next morning, you know, life goes on. Bills have to be paid, obligations have to be met. So even our accomplishments can end with a sense of gnawing dissatisfaction, but not here not in this text, and not in this time and space, I trust. 
The psalmist's journey ends with real deal, genuine praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing, celebrating. And the standout word repeated three times, one in each of the verses, is blessing. This word is key to, to unlock not just this psalm, but the whole 15 psalms of ascent. But before we wrestle with what it means to bless God and what it means to be blessed by God, I want us to start with the realization that whatever it means, it means something good. And that's important to remember because you and I are part of a society that's always most concerned with whatever is next, driven by the dissatisfaction of where we are. And right, we, we all start off, we want to go to a great college, not just any college, and graduate well with a good, valuable, marketable degree. And then we plan to go to some cool city and get a killer job and then work our way up until we can buy an incredible house, marry a fabulous spouse, and have dazzling, amazing children. And then what? What's next as the journey goes on? Then after a while, maybe you could take over the company or hit it big on your own, always asking what else, what next. And as the journey goes, and we conclude a career, after raising a family and retirement, then what? Golf. Or a retirement villa someplace, you know, fabulous. Then what? Enjoying grandchildren. I like being in that space. And then what? What's next? It's always about what's next. Wanting any of these things, though, remember, isn't a bad thing in and of itself. Nor is that my point. My point is we are built, we are purpose-built around anticipation. And a big piece of human happiness and enduring joy is always having something to look forward to. And as for the pilgrim's journey, it's obvious that if the end of the journey is not a blessed place, then the whole journey is inherently worthless. As we trek this last leg of the journey to Jerusalem in these Psalms and everything that that stands for, first I want you to see that the end of the journey with God is a place of incredible goodness. There is no possibility for disappointment. And while we fill our lives up with all kinds of good things, you and I both know that they don't because they can't fill us up. We want them so bad, like those toys, but once we have them, they still leave us wanting and unfulfilled. And the person who follows this journey with God through life will end their journey with unmitigated, unparalleled, untarnished, absolutely complete and total blessing. And the text tells us that a life lived with God ends well. Of course, other lifestyles can and are maybe better at accumulating fame, wealth, power, possessions. But a life with God is one that ends well. As Shakespeare put it, 
all's well that ends well. But by contrast, these psalms implicitly show us a trek that doesn't end like this is a journey not worth taking. It's not worth living a life in which you're always frightened of the unknown, constantly filled with shame from your past, or overwhelmed by anxiety about the future. To come on this journey, the journey of God, the journey that leaves behind the emptiness of religion and conspicuous consumption and embarks on a journey of loving obedience to Jesus Christ wherever he leads, that journey, friends, ends well. And that's the essence of this final psalm. It's coming to the end of the race and realizing that it was all even every agonizing step, every downturn, every headwind, every steep hill, every long stretch, every bit of the dry heat, it was all worth it. The question remains, what, what makes it? What makes it so good? What makes following the way of the pilgrim, seeking for the kingdom of God first, so good? We find out by looking at this repeated word, blessing, and see in this psalm, a life lived for God is a life that blesses God and a life that is blessed by God. Let's dive in. Living a life that blesses God. Verses 1 and 2. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now, imagine the pilgrims, they make it to Jerusalem, they make it to the Temple Mount, and maybe they made it at night. It's not daytime. Well, uh, they've been on the road all day, they're exhausted, and they call out to the out, <clears throat> they call out to those in the temple, <clears throat> because it really it was 365, 24-7 service. According to 1 Chronicles 9, the temple was never left unattended, and so you simply called out to the priests who were tending inside the temple, and you, you, you cried out to them, Hene bareku et Yahweh, come, bless the Lord, to those inside the temple, and they came out to celebrate your arrival, because... Well, it may be his first drive-up service. I'm not really sure, but that's how this, that's why it's clued. To stand in the house of the Lord was a, a euphemism for ministering to the Lord because the priests stood as they did their work, administrating the, the sacrifices and so forth inside the temple. And it was common for them when they did this to lift their hands in prayer and praise. And so both pilgrims and priests were urged to raise their hands and bless the Lord. In the New Testament, we find that through Christ, all Christ followers are priests and are, have access directly to God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. So we are to encourage each other to serve in God's kingdom for his purposes with a focus upon blessing God. How can humans bless God, how can a subject bless a king? How can created bless its creator? 
This is puzzling because the idea of our being able to bless God doesn't occur just here, but all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 72, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And Genesis 24, blessed be the the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master. And then you have in Genesis 14, verse 19, blessed be Abraham by God most high, and right after it in verse 20, blessed be God most high. How can we not only receive blessing from God, but actually give blessing to God? And while we're at it, what's this mean, this whole blessed business? What does it, what does it mean? The word bless means <clears throat> to pronounce that something is good, or to confer goodness on someone or, or something. One etymology of its origin states it comes from the Old English root word for blood. Interesting. We could run down there, that rabbit trail for quite a while. Benediction, which is sometimes used as a synonym, means a good saying, coming from the Latin meaning to say that something is good. Bene, good, diction, speak. Perhaps it's easier to say that this word blessed, often used of us blessing God and of God blessing us, functions similarly to when we understand that when we speak to God and that God speaks to us. When we speak to God, we are speaking human words, and when we bless God, we are blessing and giving human blessing to Him. When God speaks, He speaks God's words, and when he blesses, he gives God's blessing. So the blessing of of God by humans is a human declaration that God is good. Fundamental, elemental, important to the rest of the talk. What the pilgrims ask the priests to do, come bless the Lord, and what they themselves do, lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord, means is to live a life, to speak words and do life in such a way that makes unmistakably clear that God is good. They're being urged to live a life that honors God, to live a life that focuses upon God, to live for God, and that, friends, blesses God. They are confessing that God is good, that he is blessed. They're not adding to his you know, divine, eternal, complete, all-sufficient blessedness nature of his own person. Instead, they're witnessing or testifying of it or to it. They are declaring in their own experience, through their journey, that a life lived for God is a joy-filled life. They are blessing God by saying, he is blessed, he is worth living for, and that's their witness. That's their declaration. One other aspect, that is, you know, this whole business of whether hands should be lifted up in praise to God, is that mandatory, exemplary, specific, the context here? Look, in the Bible, there are all kinds of different postures uh, for worship, kneeling, falling flat on your face, dancing, standing, lifting up hands, bowing, taking off your shoes, standing completely still and speechless. All to indicate reverence and total awe before Almighty God. This is not because some you know, postures, raising your hands or not, 
is necessary or by themselves is better than others or somehow is a magic way of you know, twisting God's arm to do whatever you're trying to tell him to do. It's when we realize how blessed God is, is when we truly and honestly bless God and say, you're worth it. Friends, that has an affect on your body language. When someone scores a touchdown, automatically our hands go in the air. Here the pilgrims are lifting their hands. People are free to worship the Lord in many ways, standing, kneeling, sitting, raising hands, as long as it's not drawing attention to yourself, which defeats, defeats the whole purpose of honoring and blessing God in the first place. All right, at any rate, what does it really mean to live a life that blesses God? When Matthew Henry, he was a, an, a famous Bible interpreter and expositor, when he came to the end of his life, and sort of a Renaissance man when you study, it's amazing, he is said to have blessed God in this way. He said, quote, Would you like to know where I am? In a letter that he wrote to his loved ones after, to be read after his departure. Do you know, would you like to know where I am? I am at home in my father's house, in the mansion prepared for me. I am where I want to be. My sowing time is done, and I am reaping. My joy is the joy of the harvest. Would you like to know how it is with me? I've been made perfect. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Would you like to know what I am doing? I see God, not as through a glass darkly, but face to face in the sweet enjoyment of my precious Redeemer forever. Would you like to know what company I keep? It is better than the best on earth. By the way, that's why saying goodbye is so hard. Right? It just points to how sweet never having to say goodbye will be one day. It's better than the best on earth. Here are... Here are the holy angels and the spirits of those made perfect. I'm with many of my former acquaintances with whom I've worked and loved and prayed and who've come here before me. Lastly, would you like to know how long this will continue? It's a dawn that will never fade. After millions and millions of ages, it will be as fresh as it is just now. Therefore, weep not for me. I mean, when you think about a life that ends well, like this, the application is obvious. Live that way. Follow this path. Finally, not only a life that blesses God, it is also live a life that ends in being blessed by God. Verse 3, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. I just freaked out. The clock up there says 12 o'clock. Okay. Verse 3, there was our little moment in timelessness, right, or something. Verse 3 carries on the theme of those who live to bless God and now are blessed by God. So the creator of the whole universe, in all of its majesty, blesses us. A life that is blessed by God is to be sought more than anything 
else. Material possessions, power, fame, family, and success can be found while ignoring Almighty God. But such lives are more of a warning to avoid than an example to follow. History is full of people who built their McMansions and shriveled away alone in splendor, estranged from family, friends, and even themselves. But a life blessed by God is a life that is worth living and pursuing and going on that journey together with all our passion, energy, time, and commitment. For as we see it, ends with God's blessing. And this blessing is an echo of the number six priestly prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. To be blessed by God means to be in the covenant of God with the people of God's God. God's blessing, his grace, his salvation, his presence, his help, his love ultimately himself. The blessing of God is remembering that God, the maker of heaven and earth, is for you, not against you. He's with you, not far away. He loves Is this true because we bless God and then for he owes us? Because we live morally upright lives and try to do what's right? Can we merely ascribe to ourselves the blessing of God, of God's favor? Throughout the Old Testament, the blessing of God was sought through the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice of animals. Yet there was a gnawing sense that there was more needed than a woolly lamb for atonement of sins. Fast forward to the New Testament, to Christ, to his perfect blessing, spoken to the least likely person on the planet, a thief hanging on the cross next to him, who had no time to do anything to earn any blessing, but simply trusting in the words from the Savior, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's blessing of God at the end of the journey that every sensible person on the planet desires. To receive it means to put our faith in that same Jesus who died on the cross for our sins so that we might receive his blessing, his righteousness. 30 seconds and I'm done. That blessing from him, friends, Despite all of our failures, all of our stupidity, all of our stubbornness, of pure grace, of unmerited favor, just like the thief on the cross when we say, when we hear him say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. So we see this journey's end and all of life's journey through the prism of these psalms of ascent. Remember, they started low, 
And they kept encouraging to keep going, especially when you didn't want to, and to stay together, and you need each other, and to keep trusting, and stay humble, and stay lean, and keep trusting, and keep trusting, and keep trusting, especially when you can't, to keep trusting. And they end here at this high place of unashamed blessing and praise absent from any regret or disappointment. So as we come to the end of this pilgrim's journey and our journey together, let me just ask you this. Is this where your life is going? Is this how your story will end? Is this the journey that you are on? A pilgrimage toward God with the blessing of God on your lips and in your heart? If not, and you can begin that journey right now in this moment simply by looking to the Father and trusting in your heart and by faith saying to him, because of what Jesus did, please, Accept me. I want this blessed life. I want a life that blesses you, and I desperately need to be blessed by you because of what Jesus did. Please accept me. It really is that simple. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.